This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, In Manger Lowly, The Worldwide Christmas Nativity in Crash Art, Carols, and Poetry, and the author and collector is Elizabeth Ann Christensen, and Betsy now joins us on Author Talk. Hello, Betsy. Hi. And I guess it's appropriate. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Thank you. I'm feeling very excited with Christmas coming. Well, you've had quite an exciting career with nativity ex- exhibits. Uh, how long? 25 years. 25 years. You were part of an exhibit in Ann Arbor, Michigan, your hometown, or where you've lived for many years? Well, my husband teaches at the University of Michigan, so we've been here for, for about 30 years. Well, let me read a little bit about your book. Uh, it's very different. Uh, there's beautiful pictures of all these different nativity scenes, creches as they're called, photographs of some of your favorites that portray the birth of Jesus Christ and created by artists around the world. And each reflects the scene as it relates to the individual artist's religious, artistic, or historical viewpoint. And you also added a nativity poem or quotation which you felt relates to the creche or reflects it in some way. Now, where did all this interest come in nativities? Well, I have have a wonderful story that got me started. My mother um, allowed me to go to the University of London one summer while I was attending college. And as she put me on the plane to go, she, I asked her if there was anything special she wanted me to bring her, and she said she would love to have a beautiful crash. Well, we'd always had sort of an a inexpensive one from Will Five and Dime store that my brother and sister and I played with, but I determined that I would definitely bring her a lovely uh, nativity home. So um, after I got through my summer course, I went on a train with a cousin and another gal down to Switzerland, where they had all these beautiful handmade uh, nativity sets and other carvings. And I fell in love with one that was very plain, simple, uh, beautiful colors, no gilt or gold on it, just just a very lovely one that I fell in love with, and I knew my mother would love it too. So they crated it up for me and and packed it, and I carried it the rest of the trip, and when I got home, my mother asked me if I'd been able to find her one, and I said, I was so sorry. I looked, but I just never could find the right crash. <laughs> she asked what was in the crate eventually, and I told her I'd gotten some uh, glassware for my hope chest. So then I went back to college and came home at Christmas so excited about the surprise for mother, and um, after she, she and my father had finished playing Santa Claus and went to bed. I crept out of bed and went up to the attic and pulled my big crate down and opened it. And I set, I set her crash up on a little table with a light shining on it and uh, went to bed very happy. My mother came out. I can hardly talk about it. It still gets me emotional. My mother came out of the Christmas and after we had uh, 
sang happy birthday to Christmas and the other things that we do in our family. We went in and the minute she saw that crash, she burst into tears. She cried on and off all day and it was the most exciting and happiest Christmas I have ever had. It will never, I'll never have another like that. And it affected my feeling about crushes. The other thing that happened a little bit later is after I was married and lived lived in Boston area and my husband was at school, uh, some friends of ours had a Christmas party and they invited us to come and they were house sitting. We went into this lovely, we were all students and student wives and so we went into this lovely house and during the course of the evening I saw a large tall cabinet that had open shelves actually with five different shelves and on each shelf there was a nativity from a different country. And it was so uh, such a surprise and astounding idea to me because somehow, without really thinking it through, I thought all nativities were the same. And here were five totally different ones, each from a different country. I had never even considered that the animals could be different in different countries and the gifts of the kings and the numbers of kings, everything would be different. And so I went home that night and I could hardly go to sleep and I decided if there's nothing in the world I would rather collect than nativities that were that represented all these different artistic um, positions, and it was just an excitingly new idea, and so I have collected nativities ever since that night. Well, for 25 years, you had this exhibit, and you had as many as how many in that exhibit? Well, uh, you have to realize that I did start an exhibit, but it was also because there were other people in my church who already had nativities in their family, so it certainly was not just my creches. Mine were the, the largest number of creches, but we started with quite a few, and and we ended up after 25 years with uh, more than a 1,500 rotating crashes and uh, and representing 111 different countries and we were we were very proud and they came all over to our exhibit even as far away as on buses from Chicago. How were you able to collect so many from other countries? Well, my husband is a t- professor in college and uh, they have a sabbatical leave every seven years. So our first sabbatical gave us a whole year in Paris, France. Our second sabbatical gave half a year in uh, Zurich, Switzerland, and then he had some other research projects, one in Africa, and and we had we just had an, a very lucky life of being close to places where I could roam around and look for crashes. So in your book, in Manger Lowly, you have 205 of your favorites. Uh, yes, some of them... Some of my collections aren't the most beautiful, but for some reason they appealed to me because they were unusual. Some of them are even strange, but I loved them all for one reason or another. All different sizes and shapes. All different sizes. I do collect tiny miniatures, and there are only a few miniatures in there, but uh, yeah, I... Yeah, I have many crushes from all over the world, and I love them all. Well, why don't you describe a couple of them for us so we can kind of, in our mind's eye, we can see them. Okay. Um, The first one, one of the first ones I got was made by a friend of mine, um, and it's 
it's a wooden heart miniature nativity and um, two tiny little doors open and uh, and inside these little tiny miniature figures Mary is a half an inch tall Mary Joseph and the baby and two sheep are inside the little door that opens and uh, and I love that and I love the poem that goes with it you want me to give two verses from the poem? Oh yes please that would be perfect (laughs) What can I give him for as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what I can, I give him, give my heart. So that that's a favorite. Right, right. Okay, the next one I'd like to tell about is from uh, the Czech Republic. Um, it's, um, it's a very interesting crash. Mary holds the baby sideways instead of in her arms, which is one of the things that makes it so unusual. And the little stable is one piece with with a little stable and the donkey and the ox, uh, part of the crash, looking out of the door, their door. And it has the three kings, and one of the three kings is uh, African-American. And this is another one that really goes well with the poem. May I read this one? Please. Okay, of the three wise men who came to the king, one was a brown man, so they sing. Of the three wise men who followed the star, one was a brown king from afar. They brought fine gifts of spices and gold and jeweled boxes of beauty untold. Unto his humble manger they came and bowed their heads in Jesus' name. Three wise men, one dark like me, part of his nativity. And I especially love this because the author, Langston Hughes, is a very well-known African-American poet. Well, okay. you, also, you point out that every artist portrays a nativity in a, in a unique way. And even though we, uh, the story is told about three kings, there's not always three. No, there isn't. In fact, in the catacombs, on the walls of the catacombs deep below uh, Rome, in some of them there were as many as eight kings, and it was a very difficult decision. I think finally um, one of the popes decided that they would settle on three kings because of the three gifts. But but many, many things uh, have been uh, discussed over the years and many changes made. And every artist portrays a nativity with even different animals. Yes. Oh, it's, I have an Eskimo crash, which isn't one I was going to describe, but oh, the animals in there are um, a husky dog, uh, a porcupine, uh, not a porcupine, a penguin, and uh, I mean, yeah, they they pull on what's around in mm-hmm. their country, and their country often makes a great difference in how they portray their crash. And, of course, the different kinds of materials that they would be made out of. Yes, very, very different. Um, one of the most interesting ones I have is um, made of an ostrich egg. And the, the artist has actually um, carved the nativity in the outer outer layer of an eggshell. And it's very interesting. And he's made a stand so you can put a light up inside and see uh, Mary and Joseph is on the front, but there are animals and all kinds of things. You would never even think that it would be possible to carve uh, anything on the inside of an eggshell. Now, you also mention a most valuable crash. What do you mean by that? Okay. 
Um, let me turn to that so I can make sure it's right in front of my eyes. All right, it's a, it's an antique. It's the only real antique I have, and it's called a Neapolitan Principio. Principio is the Italian word for nativity, and. Uh, many, many years ago, the great kings of the of several different countries, Italy and a few others, used to almost have a competition to see who could have the biggest, the most gorgeous, big Principio. Sometimes they had literally thousands of, of characters in them. And in the one that I have, um, there are only about eight or nine figures, but they're all very old. And in the front section, there's a lady with a large goiter on her uh, neck. Uh, she's very, her, her neck is very disfigured. And the interesting reason that sometimes people with huge handicaps, especially noticeable ones like that, were in nativities, is they felt like if they were, if they posed for as a, um, for an artist as one of the characters in the big Principios, that that would put them in the scene with Jesus for the rest of their lives, and perhaps that would be uh, beneficial for for them in heaven. And this is an absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous uh, nativity, and um, it's very lovely. We, we had a whole room that it was displayed in on our crush exhibit. Now, you belong to what's called the Friends of the Crèche. Now, this is a historic organization. It is. It started in Europe. There's a European one, but they started about 12 years ago to have one here in the United States, and I've been a member of that ever since it was organized. And uh, and every year we have a meeting somewhere, and uh, and every other year it's a long weekend meeting, and we share beautiful crashes, and we have uh, authors who come and talk about nativities. It's, it's exciting. I just got back from the one in Toronto, Canada. And they have a uh, quarterly newsletter, or are they online? Yes. Do they have a there website? There is one called, yes, they do have a, a Crash Herald that comes four times a year. It's very nice. Why don't you close with uh, one more description and a poem? A very interesting nativity is a Chinese one, and um, it's from a uh, Chinese artist who <laughs> was very knowledgeable of the scriptures, and he knew that Jesus really had two fathers, not only Joseph, but God the Father. So in his creche that he's carved out of wood, in the Holy Family, there are there is Mary, and there is Joseph, and there is God the Father. And I think that's such an interesting outlook from somebody who's, who knows his scripture well and wants to be accurate in his artistic portrayal. The title of the book, In Manger Lowly, the Worldwide Christmas Nativity in Crush Art, Carols, and Poetry. And the author and the Crush Collector is Elizabeth Ann Christensen. Now, Betsy, tell us how to get your book. Author House uh, is my publisher, and you can order through Author House Bookstore website at http colon slash slash www dot authorhouse dot com it will also be in amazon dot com about december 20th it is not there yet and barnes and noble bookstores will be selling it um i don't even have my copy yet so it's just been finished printing uh it will eventually be on facebook and there is a book order hotline that's one eight 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 two eight zero 
7715, but it may not be there yet. Well, we appreciate you being with us, Betsy, and describing this most appropriate Christmas book. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Hey, moms, juggle your hats with our mom of many hats, Angie Mazzillo. Friday afternoons at 5 Eastern, 4 Central on the Mom to Mom Network. Moms are always juggling their hats. And sometimes it's easy for moms to forget their value when life calls for switching from role to role. But the ability to juggle so many hats is priceless. She is never just a mom. She's a decision maker, coordinator, creative genius, counselor, a friend, an authority, and a leader in her household. On Mom of Many Hats Radio, we'll be talking about the hats that you as a mom juggle. We'll acknowledge your importance and support in helping you and all moms to not just defend your value, but to believe in your value. For more on the show and Angie, check out her website, azmamaminihats.com. She is a strong woman. She is powerful. She is wonderful. And she is valuable. Mom of Many Hats with Angie Mazzillo. Friday afternoons at 5 Eastern, 4 Central on the Mom to Mom Network. It's time to get your boots on with the Boot Campaign with hosts Megan Roth and Bailey Gray. Thursdays at noon, 1 Central on Toginet.com. Sponsored by Austin Bank. The whole point of the Boot Campaign is to continue the true grassroots initiative developed by a group of patriotic women known as the Boot Girls. Inspired by the true story of Marcus Luttrell, the lone survivor, the Boot Girls got started with celebrities but want every American to get your boots on by purchasing a pair of the Give Back Combat Boots. The campaign's motto is simple. When they come back, we give back. For more on the Boot Campaign, go to the website, bootcampaign.com. The Boot Campaign Get Your Boots On Show will feature discussions on current events impacting the lives of active duty and retired military, interviews with our nation's war heroes, medical professionals, and celebrities who have put their boots on. Do your part and join us for The Boot Campaign Get Your Boots On Show with Megan Roth and Baby Gray, Thursdays at noon, 1 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Struffle, Struffle's Walk, and Struffle's New Bed. And the author is Susan M. Mayatha. And Susan joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Susan. Hello, how are you? Well, there's always room for a great new children's story, and Struffle is all of that and greatly illustrated, just beautiful illustrations. Why choose this theme? Uh, you have uh, two books in one. Uh, why did First of all, why did you do two books in one, or two stories in one book, I mean? Um, I first wrote the first book, uh, The Struffles Walk, and then I wrote The Struffles New Bed, and I couldn't decide which one to release first, so I just combined them to be one, and it is a very good bonus for the child. So we have a bonus here, two stories in one book, and uh, Struffle, first of all, why name this main character Struffle? Uh, Struffle, I, con- uh, I came up with a name when I was looking for how uh, the animal, I-, I wanted a bear, and I wanted a name the child could easily pronounce and they could remember, and I... 
I went through different names. Actually, I came up with a name by asking my young son to to name a name for my character. And we went through a list of names and came up with Struffle. He, uh, it was just perfect for the book. So Struffle is a little bear, and yes. he's got some friends. And, of course, he has a family, and he has friends. And the first story is about he and his friends. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that story. Um, Struffle's walk is about... Uh, it's about springtime, and Truffle the little bear is by himself in the garden. And later he meets his friends. He has um, Sophie the loon, Ruby the robin, Brady the beaver, Larry the rabbit, and Dory the deer. And he comes up uh, and plays different games with them. And basically, it's just different ways a child can relate to their daily activities: um, playing in the garden, playing with their friends. And that's why I wrote about Struffle and his friends. And he loves to chase butterflies. Oh, yes, he does. He loves the butterflies. They're beautiful. And it's a good significance that spring is here, uh, new beginning, and it, the, the sunshine, he can enjoy it by playing by himself, by playing with his friends. So Now, in choosing his friends, a loon is different. <laughs> what do you mean? How different? <laughs> well, it's a kind of a, you know, you don't hear too much about a, a loon. Why did you choose a loon? I wanted um, to represent different kinds of animals and birds. And I wanted big birds, small birds, big animals, small animals. Because children have different kinds of friends. Some are big, some are small, some are funny, some are light in weight. So... I, I chose the loon because it, it is a beautiful bird, and I I was deciding between a loon, a duck, and a goose, and I decided the loon would really be perfect for the book. So the second story deals with Struffle and his parents at home and something that he wants very badly. Yes, he does. And what is that? He wants a new bed. So he's gotten bigger. Yes, he's gotten quite big for his old bed. He's really too big. And he looks at it and he's really sad and he wants to ask his mom, but he doesn't know how to do it. So he just goes ahead and says what is in his mind and he buys it, get, uh, he gets a new bed. And it is quite a surprise. <laughs> oh, yes, he didn't expect it to be so soon. <laughs> <laughs> and also the kind of bed, I guess. Oh, yes. The mom is really uh, very artistic, and she loves creativity. And she went and got him a special bed um, just for him, and the children will love what kind of bed Struffle got. Well, a bed is very important to uh, a young boy or young girl. And so what is the uh, what are you trying to communicate in this story? What kind of a theme? In the second part of the story, basically, I'm trying to communicate that children have desires. Children want some things that they need, that, and they don't know how to say it because they're afraid if they speak up their mind, they'll be uh, not uh, understood well. So this is a way a child can speak about what he really desires, and uh, he's not shy about it. And the parent can actually relate to what the child has asked 
and what is available, and they can go ahead and purchase or obtain for the child what it uh, requires at that time. How long have you worked on publishing books? Yes, I have. You, how long have you done it? Uh, in the publishing field specifically, I've, I have over eight years' experience. And so this is a series of books. This is just the start. This is just the beginning. And so do you have some other themes in mind? Yes, there are a couple of them that they're working on right now. And uh, basically the next uh, series will be out early next year, in 2012. So uh, everyone can get a copy very soon. And what age group is Struffle aimed at? The age group is four to eight years. And, of course, parents and grandparents as well. <laughs> oh, yes, they do. They, I mean, they need to be read for these little children. So parents will really learn a lot also through the book. Do you know how long of a series you're going to develop? <laughs> I haven't come up with that yet, but I'll work on the series um, for as long as I can. So we have a, a book with two stories, Struffles Walk and Struffles New Bed, and the author is Susan Mayatha. Susan, tell us how to get your book. You can purchase this book at your local retailers, or you can um, go through Auto House, the online site, and Barnes and & Noble, and um, um, Amazon. Any other thoughts you'd like to share with us? Any closing thoughts, Susan? Uh, it's a beautiful book, and I encourage everybody to purchase it. It's the best gift to give a child, especially now during Christmas time, and the winter time is about to come in, and springtime is coming in. This is the best book for every person to purchase for their child. Thank you for being with us, Susan, on Author Talk. You're welcome. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Information is power, the power to change your life. So be here for Education to Excellence. Some of the most valuable information you may ever receive will be shared with you 7 p.m. Eastern every Tuesday night with Education to Excellence with your host, Bruce Beichman. You'll benefit from insightful shows featuring guests that are proven experts in their field. Little-known facts on how to improve your health by making one very simple change in your morning routine. If you're a high school graduate or working adult and a bachelor's, master's, or doctorate degree from an accredited college would change your life, you won't want to miss this. Education to excellence. Shift your career into high gear without ever attending a traditional college class. Learn investment strategies from proven experts who have a track record of helping normal individuals build abnormal wealth. Check out their website, education2excellence.com. Then join us for the show, Education to Excellence, with your host, Bruce Beichman. Tuesday nights at 7 Eastern, 4 Pacific on toginet.com. Fertility. It's an extremely personal subject. Tune in Monday nights at 9, 8 Central for the Fertility Forum with infertility psychotherapist and expert Phyllis Martin on toginet.com. This is the show about infertility, gaining support, and information. Phyllis will assist you in navigating the disappointments and decisions that often accompany the difficult journey from diagnosis to conception, pregnancy to parenthood. She is passionate about her work and is an expert in the donor egg field, 
bringing both her personal and professional experience to all she does. Ms. Martin has extensive experience in helping patients cope with infertility, pregnancy loss, adoption, surrogacy, miscarriage, pregnancy termination, and creative family building. She knows what you're going through, and she's here to help. It's the Fertility Forum with your host, Phyllis Martin, Monday nights at 9, 8 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Clarice, Her Journey Through Life, and the author is Harriet Maxwell, and Harriet joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Harriet. Oh, hello, Esty. Thank you so much for talking to me. Well, great to be talking to you in London, England. Uh, it's the magic of technology that sounds like you're right in the studio, and we're just having this great talk about your book, Clarice. Let me uh, tell everyone, uh, in general, what your book's about. Clarice is a fun-loving country girl with a secret from her childhood that she won't even tell her best friend. Great love and good luck sprinkled with sadness come her way through life. How would you deal with it all if you were her? Well, on the surface, it is a light-hearted story of a woman from 16 years to 45 years. It has hidden serious topics. One is bulimia. The second is our reaction to disability. And the third is the emotional and physical cost of soldiers injured in recent wars. So... All of those are very serious subjects, and you decided to write this story about Clarice Why, Harriet. Why did you choose this theme? Well, um, as you said, the three things that run through it are very important issues, but I wanted to present them in a, in a reasonably light-hearted and easy-to-read way where everyone could wouldn't have to go into some difficult scientific or very literary work, but be able to read it as a light-hearted novel, but um, realize that there were many un- underlying some serious topics, which would open their eyes um, to realize that maybe they or their friends, um, everyone is sort of worrying about these sort of things, but very few people talk about them. And this was uh, Clarice's secret, mainly, her difficulty with food and the fact she couldn't control uh, her eating. And of course, with celebrity being so important these days, um, girls of her age and older want to look extremely slim, um, and that was another sort of minor issue. You say that Clarice is the product of a dysfunctional family. Tell us about her family. Well, her family is probably hardly more dis- dysfunctional than lots of families um, we know about and have been. But her father was an alcoholic, um, and he used to go down to the pub every night and come home um, more or less drunk. Often the children would tiptoe around him and be very careful not to wake him up or annoy him. And then he also occasionally um, physically abused his wife. So the children um, became very much a secondary issue. And, um, of course, alcoholism is an addiction, and um, so is bulimia, a similar addiction. Um, 
addiction to food and ways of getting rid of it. Dad is a heavy drinker. He physically abuses his mother. Obviously, that has profound impact on all the children. What causes the bulimia? Is it kind of a link between the way things are going at home and she's so frustrated and depressed and also the, I guess, the media's push for this thinness, as you talked about, you know, everyone's got to look just a certain way? Uh, yes, well, um, Clarice was quite <clears throat> quite happy when she was at home um, being fat and jolly because she lived in the country area where people weren't so particular. Uh, when she went uh, to London, near to London, to see the bright lights and see more of life, uh, she'd probably seen on the television, she um, started to work for uh, a rather thin, slim, smart woman. Um, and and decided she wanted to, you know, um, although she loved food, Clarice, she wanted to also continue to eat, um, but also be very thin. And it's very hard to eat an enormous amount of rich food and be also very thin. Uh, so um, this pushed her into her bulimic um, situation. Um, I think the link here is that her father couldn't control something, which was his alcohol intake, and basically Clarice couldn't control something, and that was her food intake. So she had to find ways, abnormal ways of doing it. It's always great to have friends. Friends pull us through some very tough situations, very uh, tough parts of our lives, and Clarice has a very special friend. Yes. Yes, she has a, she has a very special friend um, called Joe, who who belongs to um, a Christian a Christian um, church, just an ordinary uh, sort of evangelical Christian church. And she gives Clarice support all through her life, um, despite uh, Joe not always agreeing with what how Clarice gets through things. Uh, she's there for her whenever things go seriously wrong. And I, as I, I agree with you, we all need at least one good friend in life um, and sometimes we need a spiritual um, thing to turn to which uh, carried Clarice through to some extent. Now tell us about Terry. Ah, Terry was uh, the first love of her life. Um, she's a regular guy, um, normal, bit of smoking, drank a drop of beer, uh, really adored Clarice and when he realized that she needed um, bucking up at one stage he uh, put her in for a talent contest uh, where she would be made over, um, made to be, look really beautiful and walk the catwalk um, and he just idolized her and didn't notice um, anything really um, anything wrong with her at all, even when she slightly went, she strayed off the path, it was straight and narrow. So, um, you know, when, when things, they had a child and everything was so happy. Um, I won't want to say beyond that because it kind of gives the whole plot away. And Terry, is he one of our soldier heroes in the book? No, no, he just, he started off as a cabinet maker, carpenter, and then he went to work um, 
on a big on big building site with his mate. Um, so this was her first marriage. And how do you weave in this, uh, the war wounds of warfare, the disabilities that come to our great mm -hmm. soldiers? How do you weave that theme into this book? Well, much later on, after many other occurrences, um, Clarice found herself without a love in her life. Um, and so she looked on, went on the internet and started internet dating. And after a few fairly calamitous um, dates, she saw this gorgeous-looking soldier who she fell in love with. But at first, for a long time, she couldn't actually um, contact him physically because he was away um, supposedly doing extra work. But in fact, he was um, going to uh, a rehabilitation center to help him recover from his war wounds. Well, that's a big issue with you, isn't it? The, uh, yeah. tra the traumatic effects of those who come home from war who are injured so severely. Surely. Surely. Not only injured physically, but also men and mentally, mentally disturbed. Very many soldiers um, suffer from post-traumatic shock disorder, stress disorder. Uh, and this often comes on very, very much later. Uh, because to live through all that terrible turmoil of war with, with the sounds and the, and the smells and the, the whole almost excitement of war, but it's terrible. And when they come home um, to a settled family life, um, that still carries on going around their head. And it's very difficult for them to live with and also very difficult for their wives and families to live with. I'm not sure there's enough. There are ther therapies designed to treat it, because so many soldiers are affected. Um, it often, I don't, I don't think it often really gets as much um, treatment as it should. More stress is put on the physical um, damage from war, which is terrible enough, uh, that the mental trauma from war can actually go on for the rest of a lifetime. Now, you have suggested some different therapies in this story. Yeah. You're, you're a, uh, are you a practicing doctor now? Um, no, I retired about um, a year ago. Uh, but during that, during my time as a doctor, I trained as a hypnotist. And um, so I used to um, do hypnotherapy and learnt uh, treatment of post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, treated um, a couple of soldiers. Um, there are other treatments too. There's the tapping treatment, which is um, uh, available, where you, you tap um, points, energy points on the body, um, to help gradually disperse these dreadful, deep-seated memories. Um, because the memories are linked um, to every sense, every sense we have, to the smell, to the sight, to the sound, to the feeling, even to the taste. Um, the taste of war, the taste of the, of, um, the war. So uh, each, each particular modality has to be dealt with and dispelled. And then the, the soldiers who are treated, they don't forget the memories, but the memories become less intrusive, less frightening, and the nightmares die down, and, and they gradually become um, you know, much more normal. But it's very much an untold story, actually, I think. 
Yes, and needs to be addressed uh, at the highest priority. I'm sure you believe that. I believe that uh, these great men and women who go off to war, we need to take care of them. Uh, they're, they're often I neglected. Couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. I think not nearly enough done. Um, you know, old men start wars, young men fight them. And who picks up the pieces of the young men that come back severely damaged? Um, recently, there's been a, a good program on our television in the UK where a man's been teaching choirs of military wives to sing. Um, and they've been singing at the remembrance services and singing at the Albert Hall. And um, now they have also a stand. So that, because in the past, um, the wives of these soldiers and their families, their children, haven't really um, been counted for anything. And they've had to just pick up the pieces. And, and I would imagine quite a few of those marriages and end in divorce uh, because the wives don't know how to handle the, the psychological damage. Well, in many ways, Clarice, as you write, is a Pollyanna, usually playing down her misfortunes and always looking on the bright side. But, of course, great challenges come to Clarice, and we'll kind of, uh, won't tell all that uh, she goes through, uh, but she is a person who understands that often you need to get help, right, and, and that uh, yeah. you can... You can get through just about anything if you get the right help. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, people need to have counselors, therapists, and other and friends to listen. Uh, they need to be able to depend depend on these people and be able to tell their innermost fears and stories. And if they want need spiritual help as well, that's fine. Any sort of, um, you know. Uh, spiritual help um, outside of the, the, the normal churches, anything that's available, and they need to be able to know that people can understand their problems and feel for them. I think, um, um, what's the word? <laughs> I can't think. Um, understanding, empathy, um, and financial support. In the case of a lot of the soldiers who come back and can't get jobs, um, and haven't got very good benefits. And also feeling for their children, their little children, who have seen their daddies sitting well, marching off to war, and coming back with broken men. And um, it did, I did mention in my book at one stage um, that really they see all the glory of people marching out, but they don't really see the terrible things that come back. And we, we've seen in England a lot of coffins. We have coffins um, are escorted through our towns back to the military bases regularly, weekly, of young men. And they leave behind children who are really also quite psychologically damaged. So it is a very, very big issue. Um, but I wanted the book to be something that people just read because it was an easy read. I didn't want to do a dissertation where people thought, oh, this is boring stuff. The title of the book, Clarice, Her Journey Through Life, and the author is Harriet Maxwell. Harriet, tell us how to get your book. <laughs> I think it's available through Amazon. Uh, I know Amazon.com and .co.uk. Um, I'm not very good at 
uh, marketing, so I don't know. I'm sure you can buy it anywhere, really. Right. Any You can ask for it at any bookstore. They can get it for you, or you can go online to any of the online retailers and, and get the book. Again, Clarice, her journey through life. Harriet, thanks for being with us on Author Talk. Oh, thank you, Steve. That was great. Thank you.